Welcome to Blaine Christ the King. You are listening to our weekly service message podcast. Join us every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock at our campus location in Blaine, Washington. Thanks for tuning in. talking as a church over the last couple weeks about being called to be in for and with our community. How are we called to love our community? And, um, you know, we've talked about uh, just a lot of, uh, last week we had Derek talk a little bit about being in the community. Uh, We've talked about being a people of peace, but we believe that we're not supposed to remove ourselves from the world around us, but we're supposed to engage. We're not supposed to hide out. We're supposed to be present in our world. And so today we're going to unpack what it means to be for our community. What does it mean to be for our community? If someone said that they're for you, what would that mean? If someone said, I'm for you, what would that mean? What would come to your mind? That mean they're cheering you on? Um, when someone says that, w- when I hear that word for, being for someone, I immediately think of the Rocky movies, and I'll explain why. I immediately think of Rocky, <laughs> but I was in my 20s, which wasn't that long ago, um, before I saw any of the Rocky movies, and um, I had this friend who was from Philadelphia, and when he found out that I, I hadn't seen one Rocky movie, he was appalled. Like, of course, of course you would have seen these movies. They're fantastic. And so immediately he invited me over that weekend, and uh, we started going through the Rocky movies, and the first one we went through was the newest one out at the time, which was Rocky Balboa. Just by show of hands, who's seen a Rocky movie, just so I know who I'm talking So most people, see, I was so far behind. Um, Um, But I don't think we really have that type of connection to any movies in the Northwest. I mean, if I found out somebody uh, hadn't seen Harry and the Hendersons, I wouldn't be like, dude, you have to see this movie right now. It's amazing. Um, Maybe Twilight. I haven't seen Twilight, but uh, maybe that's the one (laughs) that people connect to. I'm I'm not much of a vampire guy, though, so that's why I haven't seen that one. Um, But so I'm watching this movie, and, and this is the sixth movie in the series. So I'm totally confused. I have no idea who the characters are. And the guy who confuses me the most is Polly. You guys remember Polly from the Rocky movies? I'm like, why does Rocky hang out with this guy? Like, he's a total jerk, right? He's like, you know, abusive to Rocky, makes fun of him all the time. He's jealous. He's selfish. And so I asked Colin, I'm like, why, why does Rocky hang out with Polly? And he says, well, Polly's always been someone who's in Rocky's corner. You know, he's always been there in the tough moments for Rocky. You know, he's been there to cheer him on. And in boxing, obviously, being in someone's corner is a literal thing, right? Like, you're literally standing in someone's corner cheering them on as they punch someone else in the face, right? So, uh, but I, I didn't understand. Like, okay, why is Rocky hang out with this guy if he's a jerk to him most of the time? You know, Polly was was there for him, but then he was also always trying to play an angle, like always trying to get something out of Rocky's fame or whatever. And so maybe when you hear that idea of being for someone, you think about somebody like Polly, right? Like, yeah, he's for you, but he's kind of more about himself, you know? Um, but I think the reason why that character works is that we all have a little bit of Polly in us. We're all a little bit like Polly. You know, I think Polly kind of exposes something to us. Like, we want to help people. 
Uh, we want to help people when they're struggling, but at the same time, like, we have to deal with ourselves. We're a little selfish, let's be honest. And so maybe when you look around at the needs in your community, uh, when you see the injustice of the world, you can have this tendency to feel guilty. Like, man, what, what can I do? Um, you know, maybe that solution is if I can just do my part, if I can just play one role in this, you know, if I can do my part, that's, that's enough. Um, Pastor Mez McConnell said that most people serve their community out of good or even godly intentions, a mixture of good or even godly intentions and misplaced guilt. Like usually we have a little bit of guilt and good intentions and, and that's the reason why we serve our community. You know, so maybe we're like Polly in our community. We donate here and there. We volunteer. You know, we wave at our neighbors. You know, the neighborly wave as you're passing on. Um, but that's sort of the extent of it. Or maybe, you know, you feel like in your life, sometimes I do, like you just don't have any margin for anyone else, right? You don't have margin to serve your neighbors. You have just the pace and chaos of your own life has sort of maxed you out and you just don't feel like there's anything there for others. You know, you say that you might be for people, but where's the proof of that? And so the question that we're wrestling with today is how does God want us to be for our community? How does God want his people to be for their community? And what we're going to do is we're going to look in the book of 1 John, if you brought your Bibles. Um, we're going to be in the book of 1 John in the New Testament. And if you're not familiar with 1 John, uh, 1 John is a book written by the Apostle John, um, who is one of Jesus' 12 disciples. And John described himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. Like more than anything, John just wanted to be with Jesus. Like that was his thing. If he could do anything in the world, John just wanted to be close to Jesus. And so when you read his, his uh, gospel and his letters, like that comes across. Like he talks more about love than any of the other New Testament writers. Um, he, in, in 1 John, it comes the phrase, God is love. Like it all comes back to love for John. And so he writes this letter to a group of Christians that he knows well. Um, in fact, he calls them his little children in this letter. Like, that's so endearing, right? You just imagine this grandpa, hey, little children, you know, kind of thing. Um, but he's writing to his little children. You know, he sees himself as a spiritual father. So that's kind of the tone of this letter. And John's goal in writing this letter is that his spiritual children would know they would be sure that they're walking in the truth. Like they'd be sure without a shadow of a doubt that they're getting it right with God, um, that they're on the right path, that they're on the road to life. Um, or he wants to expose the fact that they're not. Um, if they're not on the path to life, he wants to expose that. Um, not to condemn them, but to convict them that they might turn back towards life. He wants them to be on the right path. And, you know, I think John knows, like, like we know, that the most loving thing you can do sometimes is tell the truth, right? It's the most loving thing you can do. It's hard, but sometimes you need to tell the truth. And if someone's on the wrong road, the most loving thing you can do is to help get them back on the right path. And I think we live in a culture that, that doesn't really like to offend, so sometimes that's difficult for us. But that is the truth about love, that uh, we want to, or it, it has to tell the truth. And so it's cool that John says that he writes not to condemn people, so, but so that everyone else can share in their joy. That everyone could share this joy of knowing God, of walking in the truth and the light of Jesus. And so G John invites all people to know that joy. 
What's interesting and what we're going to focus on today is that John's message is that the proof of following Jesus is in the pudding. It's in, if someone says that they follow Jesus, it's going to show up in how they live. If, uh, if somebody, um, if someone says that they know Jesus, then they will love their neighbor like Jesus. And those, that's a connection that John makes very strongly in this letter. And that's actually the most telltale sign to John, whether or not someone is actually right with God, is how they love other people. If someone's following Jesus, then they love other people like Jesus. And so I'm going to read this passage, and if you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to be in 1 John 3, 16 through 23 this morning. And it says this. It says, By this we know love, that he, Jesus, laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and see his brother, sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. And he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given to us. So John is saying that the evidence of being in Christ is going to come out in loving others, is being for others. He connects having faith in Jesus and tangibly displaying love for someone else. To him, they're inseparable. John's saying you can't have a vibrant love for God and just keep it to yourself and just like love yourself. Like it's going to be displayed in how you care about other people. You know, and so he says those are the two commandments, to have faith in Jesus and love other people. And that's what, what Jesus says is the great commandment too, right? Love God, love others. You've heard that. It's just backing that up. And so in the church today, love is supposed to be the distinguishing mark of the church, of our community. Like love is supposed to be what distinguishes us from everything else. Like we're supposed to have a supernatural, the supernatural love of God pour out of us. Not just you individually, but us as a community. Um, but is that what the world sees? And I'm not just talking about our community, but just the church in general. Like if we took a poll, if you took a poll at your work, if you took a poll just of, you know, of Blaine, um, would love be on the top of the list when they ask, when you ask what Christians are about? Would it be love? It might not. It might not. There might be a slew of other things that people have on the list other than love and that don't reflect love. And if that's the case, then we need to repent of that. We need to get back on track. But how are we supposed to stand out in the world? How is God's love supposed to stand out in our world? I mean, we live in the Pacific Northwest, and if you hang out here in the Pacific Northwest for any amount of time, you realize that there's a lot of passionate people around you. Who here would describe themselves as passionate this morning? Okay, well, maybe not here, guys, but 
All right. All right. Let me, let me give you a case in point. This is what I'm talking about. There are a lot of people here in Whatcom County who want to do a lot of good things. There are a lot of people who want to do a lot of good things. In fact, I looked it up and there's actually 1,800 nonprofit organizations here in this county alone. That's one for every 12 people. Like, that's so much. That's, think about if every nonprofit represented one cause, like that's a lot of passionate people yeah. out there. That's a lot of people who want to do a lot of good things. And so how is the love of God supposed to stand out in a world where everybody wants to do good? You know, and maybe we need to start by looking at the, what, what does that word love mean? Because I think love is sort of a cliche, nebulous word. We hear it, we're like, oh yeah, okay, Hallmark, like, got it. I know what love means. But it feels a little soft. You know, there's a popular author today that described love as mutual good feelings between people. Like, if we can just have good feelings, like, we're good. Which is pretty easy to attain to, right? I, uh, that's pretty easy. I can, I can live peacefully with people. Um, I can be a good citizen. I can keep to myself. I can, I can love like Polly. You know, I can just show up from time to time during tough things, cheer them on, and then do whatever I want to do. Um, and I think we in the church, Christians, we often settle for that form of love too. This is nothing new. There was a, a, a Catholic priest in the 1700s um, who said, who, who kind of was complaining about what he saw in the church. And he said, um, to just read the Bible, attend church, and avoid big sins. Is this passionate, wholehearted love for God? Like, are we missing something? Like if it's just doing the routine, doing the duty, are we, are we missing something about how we're supposed to love God? And I think we're going to, you know, the, the difference comes in verse 16 that we just read. that says, by this we know love, that Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. We know what real love is because we don't have a definition. We have a picture of it. We have Jesus. He embodied it for us. And there was nothing soft. There was nothing passive about the way that Jesus loved us. We just sang, you know, it's a relentless, ferocious love. Why do we sing that? Because he gave everything for us. He bled out for us. He suffered and died and took ridicule for us. He withheld nothing. He gave everything. And so the, and the main demonstration, as we all know, of, of this love is the cross, right? And that's what we celebrate. Um, but that's where our understanding of love needs to begin. It begins with the person of Jesus, the sacrifice of Jesus. And that's where transformation starts. Before we can love deeply, we have to know that we are loved deeply. Before we can love deeply, we have to know that we're loved deeply. And I want to tell you this morning how Jesus is for you. I'm going to backtrack in 1 John to chap the beginning of chapter 2, uh, where, where John calls Jesus our advocate. And he says this, If anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. Like Jesus is actively advocating for us before the Father. He's the one who fights our battles for us. Like the biggest battles of your life, he's the one who goes before you and fights those battles. He is our advocate. You know, when I think of the, the word advocate, I think to my friend Clarence. 
Um, when I lived in Portland, I helped my friend Clarence start a nonprofit, which I don't know how many nonprofits are in Portland, but it's probably a lot. Um, but I, start, I helped my friend Clarence start a nonprofit in the inner city, and he was an advocate for guys coming out of prison uh, in the inner city. And he, he tried to um, create a new life for them in every way that he could. So he would advocate for them in, uh, in, for a career uh, in community. Um, he would talk to recruiters on the phone. He would talk to hiring managers on the phone for hours trying to um, just sell his people um, to these guys that they'd, um, that they'd take, uh, take them as employees. You know, he'd, al he'd always be making a case. He built a community center uh, which had a pool table and all sorts of stuff so that guys wouldn't go back to the life as they knew on the streets on a Saturday night, but that they would just hang out and play pool and, and have a new family that they could be with. You know, Clarence fought for people, and it's just something that I really admired. He just fought for people. He knew where they were at, and he helped them. He took up their case. And likewise, Jesus is our advocate. Jesus is fighting for you in every area of your life. Jesus is your advocate. Um, he laid down his life for you. So when you mess up, Jesus fights for you. And that's the kind of security that we have. And so when we hand our lives over to him and know that he fights our battles, that gives us freedom. It doesn't create guilt. It gives us freedom to love. But that's the question. Do you trust God to be your advocate? Do you trust Jesus to fight your battles? Or are you fighting that battle for yourself? You know, are you fighting to be a good person on your own? Because if we don't believe that Jesus fights our battles, then we're going to love in a way that's insecure. Like we're going to get in our own way. Um, because it won't just be about, you won't be free. You'll be fighting to prove how good you are. And so the the message of the gospel is that you aren't good because of what you do, but because of what Jesus has done for you. That's what makes you good. It's nothing that you've done that's made you good. It's everything about what Jesus has done for you. And that's why it's so powerful to believe that, to own that at a heart level. Do you believe that you're clean, you're forgiven, that your shame is covered, that Jesus is for you? That's the kind of advocacy that Jesus is all about. He's actively fighting to transform you. That's why at the end of the passage, it says he gives us the Holy Spirit, this, this spirit of God working in our hearts to change every part of our lives. You know, if we don't believe that, then we're, we're trying to prove how good we are. That's called self-righteousness, and that's the wrong road. But if we know that Jesus fights our battles, it frees us because we don't have to get our self-worth and value from what we do. We don't have to look at our resume to say we're a good person. We look at Jesus's resume. We say, that's my resume. That's what makes me good. When we believe Jesus is for us, we are free to be for other people. We receive a gift and we give love as a gift. No strings attached. Real love for others is not a task. It's a response to God. It's a response from our hearts. You know, John says later, one of my favorite verses is uh, 1 John 4, 19. It says, we love because he first loved us. It's this response to the love of God that allows us to love our community, to fight for others, because we know we have someone fighting for us. You know, uh, I think maybe you know what it feels like to be loved from a sense of obligation or guilt. 
uh, it feels like being a project, right? It feels like being someone's project. Nobody, anybody here like feeling like a project? Not me. Um, but when we love from freedom, we can be friends with the people that we're fighting for, right? We don't, no, no one's a project, but everyone can be a friend. Who'd rather be a friend than a project? I know I would. Um, so that's a good question. Are you treating people in your life like projects or like friends? Jesus lays down his life for us so that we can turn around and lay down our lives for others. It's a response. And that's our prayer for the church in Blaine, that we would be a church that loves like that, that freely offers of itself, that, that freely gives hospitality, that freely uh, helps people in need. You know, part of our mission statement is that we would reach out to everyone in love, acceptance, and forgiveness, that we would meet people where they're at and help lead them to where God wants them to go. Because we believe that this love of Jesus is available to everyone. It's available to everyone. Um, so we, as a church, we have a responsibility to make a space for everyone to grow in Christ. But the question for us today, for you personally, is just where's your heart? Where's your heart? Um, because the love of God is not something we can create. It's something that lives inside of us. You know, we don't create the love of God. It's not a task. It's something that lives inside of us. And John says this to that point. He says, If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. So this love shows up in how we treat other people. Are we, are we closing our hearts towards other people? Are there people in your life that you're like, man, I don't know. I think I'm just going to close off. Like, I, I don't want to, I, I want to protect myself. And, and, and so I'm, I'm not going to engage. And John's calling out people that say they have the love of God, but are unwilling to engage their neighbor. And so they close themselves off. And this, this word means they close themselves off emotionally, um, they stop listening, like they're just done, you know? And I, I mean, I'm human. I felt done with people before, certain people in my life, but that's what this warning is against, is if you're closing people off from your life, like where is God's love in that story? Um, now, I don't believe that this verse is saying that every time you see a need, it's up to you to fill it. Uh, that, that would be pretty tough, right? Every time you see a need, you have to go fill it. Um, and take a break here. No, <laughs> like, we didn't. We didn't plan for the train. We should have. But, um, <laughs> but I do think that he's saying you need to engage people. So if there is a need, you need to be wise and seek God on how can I help in this situation. Maybe that's just to make a connection. Um, but be willing to listen. Be willing to engage. Ask God, how can you use me to help someone else? Jesus made himself available for us, and likewise, we're supposed to make ourselves available for others, for the community around us. I know for me and my family, when we first moved to Whatcom County, we were coming out of a, of a difficult situation in Montana. We moved into Whatcom County with nothing. And if it wasn't for people in the church who were willing to walk alongside of us to help us get settled, like we probably wouldn't be here in Whatcom County. If it wasn't for the church making themselves available to us, figuring out how they could help our needs, like we probably wouldn't be here. 
And that's what the community of God is supposed to do. And in your most vulnerable moments, the community of God is supposed to surround people in your most difficult moments. And this is all over scripture. I just want to walk through a couple here. Um, In Proverbs 31, it says, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. In Psalm 82, it says, Defend the weak and the fatherless. Uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. In Matthew 25, Jesus talks about giving to people in need. And his conclusion, you probably know, it says, The king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these brothers, you did it to me. Like it's all over scripture. We're supposed to help people in their most vulnerable moments. And that's what love does. It helps people in their, in their vulnerability and their weakness. And I know the struggle of doing that. I know the struggle of wrestling with how can I help people. Um, I'm a human too. Um, I kind of change between being generous and uh, being stingy. You know, uh, my emotions also go up and down. I know what it's like to be tired and maxed out and wonder, okay, how can I help in this situation when I feel fried? I know that feeling. Um, But love is learning to lean on God and do it anyways. Love is learning to lean on God and help anyways. Several years ago, um, Bonnie and I uh, heard the news that her cousin's son, who's six years old, uh, had leukemia, had just been diagnosed with leukemia. And they lived up on Mount Hood, and the nearest hospital was down in Portland, and they were going to have to drive an hour back and forth to get there. And uh, of course, at the time when we, we heard about this, we were, our hearts were really hurting for them. And we wondered what we could do. We prayed, obviously. We prayed for their car. And I was out on a run like the next day. And uh, this doesn't happen to me a lot, but I was on a run and I just felt this conviction from God, like, you need to give them your car. And I was like, no, I don't, I don't want to do that. Uh, I want to dismiss that as soon as I can. I I like my car. Um, But I had a Subaru Legacy, uh, which does great in the snow, all-wheel drive. And uh, this thought would not go away. Like, I want you to give them your car. And I just, I, I didn't really know what to do with that. I was hoping it would just go away. It didn't. But I was just kind of thinking, like, well, then what am I going to drive? Like, if, if I have to give away my car, what am I going to drive? I can't turn around and go buy a car like that. Like, I don't, I don't have that kind of resources, but it wouldn't go away. And I knew as soon as I said something to Bonnie, like, it was game over because my wife <laughs> is way more generous than I am. And so I knew that as soon as I brought it up, like, okay, this is it, uh, game over. And so, but I chewed on it and I chewed on it. I finally worked up the courage to say, hey, babe, do you think we're supposed to give them our car? And she said, well, I wasn't going to say anything, but yes, that's exactly what I was thinking. It's like, dang it, game over. Okay. Uh, So we drove down uh, that weekend and we signed the papers and just to keep the record straight, they did help us with the trip a little bit. Um, But uh, we, we signed off the papers and it was just so cool what came out of that moment. Because here we are with Bonnie's cousin in the most vulnerable, scary time of their lives. And we get to give them something that means the world to them. We get to sit in the hospital room with little Z, who's six years old. And my daughter crawls up right next to him. And just like, 
it made him feel normal as he's you know feeling like this this kid who's got cancer and tubes everywhere uh, it's just this beautiful moment we hugged we cried and uh, it was just this amazing moment of love and and, and I you know I was and, and as driving home we were celebrating that but I'll, I'll tell you I was half expecting like the next morning that I'd get up and there'd be like a brand new Subaru like sitting <laughs> in my driveway and that didn't happen uh, that didn't happen and uh, you know I instead we shared a car for a while a Ford Escort wagon oh man um, no it's okay uh, but then then we don't feel bad for me guys really um, but uh, you know and I drove a beater for a year you know so there was a little bit of this is one example but there's a little bit of cost right there's a there's a cost to love and that's the way it's supposed to be like love is not about mutual good feelings but it's actually about sacrificial action sometimes we love people to our loss and that's the way it's supposed to be. So the question again is, where is your heart? Where is your heart this morning? Are there, are, is there someone that you've closed off that God is calling you to open your heart to, to listen to, to take out to coffee, to not just let linger, but to actually do something about it? Do you know that Jesus is your advocate? because that would free you. That'll do everything for you when you know that Jesus loves you, that he fights your battles. It frees you not to fight someone's battles for your own good, but for their good, to simply focus on Christ. So this morning, I want you to just close your eyes and think about, God, who are you calling me to, to love? God, where am I missing it? God, am I on this right path? Am I loving people from a pure heart? Or is there a part of me that needs to be reconciled to you? God, is there a part of me that needs to be re-engaged with you to just know that you're for me? Because that's where real love starts. So just take a minute and, and think about that this morning. What does God want to do in your heart? Jesus, we, uh, we thank you, Father for this sunshine that is pouring down right now, God. I thank you for your love that is, uh, is relentless for us, God, is reckless, that pursues us, that fights for us, not just once, but continually. And Jesus, I pray that if anyone here is struggling to know that, is struggling to own that you love them, that you would make yourself abundantly clear to them, that it, at a heart level, not at a head level, but at a heart level, God, Speak to our hearts this morning, God. Help us to, to know that you are for us, God. Lord, help us to know that you love us, that you care about every intimate detail of our lives. And not just so that we can be filled and we can feel love, but that we can turn around and love others, God. Lord, I pray that you would lift us up, God. Jesus, if, if we're wrestling with feeling secure in relationship with you, if there's something in the way, God, if there's something that we're not trusting you with, that we're not trusting your Holy Spirit to take care of, Lord, help us to open our hands to you this morning. Help us to release whatever that is. And Lord, if that is a person that we need to forgive this morning, Lord, help us to release that to you. If that is a person that we've ignored this morning, Lord, help us to release that to you. If that's being willing, 
to take a step of action and to love someone, God? Would you reveal that to us? Lord, there's so many different things that we could do, God, but make it clear what you're asking us to do in this moment. Jesus, we love you. We thank you. In your name, amen.